Hey there, everybody. You are listening to This Show is So Gay. I'm your host, Ken Schneck. This is episode number 387. As always, you can get in touch with us by dropping us a line. Send an email on over to ken at thisshowissogay.com. Stroll on over to thisshowissogay.com to learn all about the fun things happening with our little gay radio show that could. You can follow us on Twitter. The handle is thisshowissogay. And of course, go on over to that Facebook. Type in This Show Is So Gay like us because we sure as heck like you. Well, there is a new show out there in the world called My Sister Is So Gay. And how could we here on This Show Is So Gay not cover a series called My Sister Is So Gay? Impossible, I say, especially when the series is hilarious and involves people who we adore so much. So this week we're bringing you two of those incredible folks. First up, Terry Ray is an award-winning writer, actor, and producer. He is the co-writer and star of the multi-award-winning cult short film Gaydar with Charles Nelson Reilly and Jim J. Bullock, and he's the writer and voice of the film's wildly kitschy spin-off toy, The Gaydar Gun. He is the creator, writer, and star of Here TV's hit sitcom From Here On Out, and the writer and co-star of the spoof She's Still On That Freakin' Island with Don Wells, as well as the co-writer of the upcoming TV film The Joneses Unplugged. Terry co-created and wrote the game show Mod Couples, and he is the playwright and currently starring in the world premiere of his new comedy, Drama Play Electricity in L.A. Right this second, he's here with us. Terry Ray, welcome back to this show is so gay oh my god that was amazing you take a drink of water right now that's a lot <laughs> i had i had a moment there where i needed a breath i said yeah, this I to you for you <laughs> <laughs> i said this to you right before we got on the air it strikes me you're one of the more busy people that i know i try i try to keep busy it's more fun than not you are in the entertainment industry that is pretty far from what it is that I do, but it strikes me that it's important that you got to keep hustling in order to make it there. You know what? I have to create my own stuff. I just can't sit around waiting for the phone to ring for somebody to ask me to do something. I got to create my own. It's just that's how I'm wired, I think. It's harder, but it's more rewarding and it's exciting and I love it. I love it. Well, I feel that the content out there right now, right, so you're not seeing exactly what it is that you want out there right now, so you just set about creating it. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like it's my, it's my story that I want to tell, or stories that I relate to, or, uh, you know, and I don't think that the, uh, the older gay guys are getting our stories told like we should, and um, so I'm trying to bring that, and they're... I mean, there are a lot of people that can relate to to this age range gay, and um, most gay things are skewed young, and so I think it's 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 fun to have some variety. I agree. I agree. Walk me through the Terry Ray creative process. Is there a place that you sit to create? Do things just knock into you in an elevator? How does it work? Uh, I write at my desk, and I die because my butt hurts when I sit too long. So, okay. um, so I have like, like a stack of pillows that I have to sit upon. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> now, are, are you someone who's very proud of first drafts or does it take you a while? Um, I am excited about a first draft because it, no one has read it and you haven't heard anything negative about it at all. So it's, it's, it's pristine and there's not been a negative thought about it. 
But then as soon as you put it out in the world, you're like, you're inviting people to tell you what they don't like and what they do like. And so then it all changes and it's good. But that first pristine thing where you wrote it and you're like, I don't know if it's good, but nobody's told me it's not. It's sort of like this really weird place to be when you go, I think I like it. I think I'm ready for people to read it, which is a kind of a fun place to be for. And it's a, it's a brief moment. It's, it's just a brief moment because basically you fuss with, you fuss, you fuss, you fuss, you tinker, you tinker. And you go, okay, I think I'm done. I'm going to send it to the person I knew I was going to send it to. And then you wait. And it's like, okay, I think I like it or not. Do you have a trusted first reader? I feel like you have a go-to person. I, you know what? Uh, one of my go-to people tragically died. He was so awesome, and he read everything I wrote, and was such a great. And he just suddenly died oh, at the age so of forty-eight, sorry. and it killed me that he's gone. And I still miss him every time. I'm like, Alex can't read this, and I mourn him. Um, so yeah, I bet I do have other friends that I, I, I have read it, but um but I really miss Alex and it's that was a uh that was a big loss for me. I miss Alex now too. Yeah, right? He's All a right. good guy. I had it in my head that you walk across the apartment complex and give things to Jim J. Bullock. <laughs> I just saw Jim J like five minutes ago. Uh he's in town getting ready to take an Uber to the airport, but he's touring in kinky boots right now, but he's, he was here for a few minutes before he took off. <laughs> we have so different I, I have, lives. I have Jim J. Booge on me somewhere, I'm sure, just from, <laughs> from a, a little kiss. Bye. Emotional. Emotional yeah. spooge. That's um, exactly... Oh. There is emotional spooge, yes. That's and we just named your next sitcom. Lovely. I'm really <laughs> here to help you. We have to talk about writing something that's called Still on That Freaking Island and working with Don Wells. If there is, perchance, one of our listeners, I can't imagine, but if they don't know who Don Wells is, how do we explain that to them? Oh, well, first, Tell them to uh, to open their eyes and turn on the TV anywhere in the world. But yeah, Gilligan's Island, Marianne. I am going to Gilligan's Island with Marianne. How cool is that? So cool. Oh, I can't believe it. I kind of have to kick myself a little bit when when I realized that was happening and uh, I was I have Marianne emotional spooge on me right now. I just I, last night I was at her house playing uh, at a poker party. Come so on. I, 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 Right, I know we're we're buds. We watched the we watched the Golden Globes together too, um, so it's just fun hanging with her. She's great. She's a wild thing and sweet and uh, game for anything. It's like I just I said, let's spoof this this world of yours that you know she still lives in and and embraces warmly that her fans love her. She's got like three hundred and eighty some thousand followers on Facebook. People love the girl. And so I'm like, let's give them something new to watch. And she was all on board for it. And we just threw something together very quickly. We shot it like in three hours. The first one we did, and we're like, we can do more of these. Let's do more. That was fun. So we just started doing more. And um, it's really fun. I write them, and we just drive to the beach. She wears a little raggedy shirt that we sew the patches on together, and we just go and do it. 
I want to just follow you around LA. I don't know who's going to pop up in your next story, but I'm so excited. <laughs> it's there's there's a sensibility that I think that you tap into that just isn't present anymore, right? Like it's the whole and I don't I would love to have you describe it, but it it is that whole match game, you know, just this frivolity and and just enjoyable I don't. I don't know how to describe it. Do Do you have a sense that you tap into a sensibility that's not really there anymore? I write what I like, yeah. and uh, I grew up with that stuff, and and that's what makes me feel good. And the, the the old humor, that kind of stuff. You mentioned Charles Nelson Riley. I loved him so much. That stuff I love. So uh, I do think I have an old school uh, mentality to my my comedy. I, I I think it's more of a throwback to the the seventies sitcom things and stuff like that, which I, but I try to make it with a contemporary subject. Oh, yeah. And, and, um, but I, I guess that is me. And, um, so I'm being true to what I like. Yeah. No, it's got the throwback vibe, but it is contemporary and you do bring it forward. So I might, this is my fear, right? Like my fear is that we are going to, as a community, start losing the likenesses of Charles Nelson Riley. You know, that, that I can go up to anyone, if I go out tonight and I go to my local gay bar and I just start talking about Brett Summers, that nobody's going to know who I'm talking about. No, no, you know, that would be a sad day, but I do believe you're right. I think there's coming a day when that's going to happen. But uh, I, have a, I have a T-shirt that I wear sometimes just to test people with Charles' picture on it. And if they, anybody knows who it is, I automatically love them. So I just... <laughs> wear that when I need to. You know, I need to have a little Charles love and put that out in the world. I am going to get a Brett Summers t-shirt and we're going to go out together and we're going to see what happens. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I would love that. Well, speaking of Charles Nelson Riley, it is it is my impression that, that he does factor into the creation of My Sister is So Gay. Is that correct? He really does. He's a very present presence in that show. Tell our listeners all about, I, I saw the previews for it. I can't wait to watch full episodes. I haven't watched full episodes yet. It looks hilarious. Thanks. It's fun. Um, well, uh, Wendy Michaels, uh, is my co-creator on the show, and she and I were pupils, because Charles never said students, he always says pupils, uh, of Charles Nelson Riley as acting class. And we bonded there, we did our first scene together, uh, and we've been friends ever since, and um, we just loved Charles. And Charles' best friend, one of his best friends, was Burt Reynolds, and of course, Bert and Lonnie uh, Anderson were together, and Lonnie and Charles loved each other. And um, so Wendy and I decided to write this show, and we wrote the mother part without anybody in mind. We just wrote the part the way we wanted it. And then it was over. We're like, okay, who's right for mom? And I just thought, Lonnie Anderson. First person I thought of, and Wendy was like, oh, my God, do you think she, you could, we can get her? And I'm like, I did a sitcom with her once. Uh, she was on a show called The Mullets, yeah. and I did that for a week. And so I'm like, she's really nice, because I met her, and I remember that she was really nice. And I knew that she loved Charles. So I thought, well, what if I write her agent, send the script, send a little link to the mullet scene of, with us in it, and see if he'll pass it along? And the next day, I get a call. Lonnie says yes. Oh, my gosh. So, 
I need more than that. You get this call. You find out Lonnie says, yes, is there a patented Terry Ray jig that you do? How do you approach that? (laughs) There was some squealing, yes, but I try to be cool on the phone, but I'm not good at that. I squeal a little bit because there's a little girl in me that gets out sometimes if I don't keep the lid really tight. Uh, So there was some squealing. But I love Lonnie. I, I, when, I, when I worked with her and the thought of her doing this role was just like, oh, my God, yes, please. And she's been amazing. We shot this in my apartment, and my apartment is not that big. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Lonnie, I gave her my bedroom, and that was her dressing room and her makeup room, and she did all of this herself. She did her costumes herself. She was such a team player. She didn't have to do this at all. She did this because she wanted to and wanted to play and wanted to play this role. And, oh, my God, it was so great to work with her. And in my apartment, when we did this, it was a heat wave. It was a bazillion degrees in here, and we couldn't turn on the air conditioning because it made noise. So it was a lot of discomfort, but she was such a trooper, and I'm like... And she's been so supportive and so wonderful all along. I just am in love with my mumsy. How do you love not her. go into your bedroom each day and think, sure, it's my bedroom, but it's also Lonnie Anderson's dressing room? Get out of my head, because I think that every day. <laughs> and then I know what part of the bed she snuggles in, and I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I honestly am looking at my bedroom now and thinking, this is not Lonnie Anderson's dressing room. So it's <laughs> kind I of the same. I do I too. I, I, abs- I have to say, I've had some cool people in my bed, not uh, in any other way other than just uh, in a cinematographic way. But uh, Bruce Valanche has been in my bed in just his underwear. Uh, let's see. Some stars from uh, uh, Laverne and Shirley. uh I just, there's, I've had some people in my bed. We, I would also like to remind our listeners that this is the first episode of Ken and Terry's new podcast called Ken and Terry Have Different Lives. (laughs) Because that could not be more apparent right this very second. (laughs) Now, let's talk about distribution. There are so many different forms of media out there, right? So we have our network television and we have cable, you know, our premium channels. And and now we have web series. How do you go about figuring out, all right, this is the platform that we want to embrace for a new show? Well, um, in my world that I'm in, I have to make the product first. Uh, uh, well, it's not for Here TV, that's not true. Here TV, you know, they produce the show. But um, when I do my own thing, I have, to, um, I have to make it first because I'm not powerful enough to pitch an idea. I have to show them a product. So then you go, okay, now I have this. How can I get people to see it? How can I get the money to make more, and I just try to figure that out. Like for for example, my sister's so gay, I couldn't afford to make it, even though we shot it very cheaply. But we got a vodka company to uh, sponsor us, and uh, Equality Vodka, which they are great people. I love it. Uh, they give back to the community with every bottle that's sold. They give back to uh, gay equality groups. And uh, they're based in Texas, and they have only got the, uh, the right so far to sell the vodka in Texas. It's a great vodka, and they are trying to get into different states, but there's a whole thing about getting spirits in different states. You have to jump through the hoops. But anyway, huh. 
They're great people. Ask for quality vodka when you go to the bar so that they'll go, what's a quality vodka? You go, you should get it because it supports the gay community. Okay. Now I will take a breath. Um, anyway, we, we, we shot My Sister's So Gay, and then we're like, okay, how do we get it out there? And then we found Tello Films, and we really like what we, we saw, and they took us on, and we're with them. And we're thrilled to be there. I love it. Is there some sort of premiere party? Because this is premiering, um, this just premiered, actually, on January 22nd. What, what do we do to celebrate such a thing? Well, I'm doing that little girl dance that you can't see. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We, uh, what do you we don't mean? Have a party yet. I don't understand. <laughs> I, I have. Uh, who are you? What do you mean there's no party planned? Oh, I know. I know. We've all been so busy, but um, there will be. There'll be a party. <laughs> okay. There'll be. All right. Now, I, I can't have you on here without playing a game with you, I, although I do have to ask. I, I can't bring myself to watch these new incarnations. Maybe they're brilliant, and if Terry Ray tells me, hey, you need to check out the new incarnation of Match Game and to tell the truth, I'll watch them, but I, I, can't, I can't bring myself to watch them. I haven't seen it yet either. Okay. I haven't seen it. What have yeah. we have we heard? I mean, they're not. It's not match game PM, so I, I can't. I just I haven't. Uh, you know, because I'm so Charles is my you know hero. I just I can't even imagine. But okay. um, I I will I will check it out. We should be brave and do it. Okay. All uh, right. But I will wear my Charles Austin Riley T-shirt when I watch it. I'm wearing my Fanny Flag bra, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> How often do I get to name check Fanny Flag in a, in an episode? It should be more. It should be more. It should be more because it's just not only wonderful to think of her, it's also just fun to say her name. How have you not written something for Fanny Flag yet? Well, she's not around here. She's she's in the South, isn't she? I don't think she lives in L.A. I would go to her. I'm just saying. I would I bring the tomatoes. Fanny. I would go to her. <laughs> well, I do love a fried tomato. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, you you have name checked her a few times. I, I haven't even said yet this episode coming up next, right after you and I are done. Lonnie Anderson herself is going to be calling into the show. So thought I so I I don't even know what to do with that. We decided to play a game with you all that we are calling this week Terry or Lonnie. In my head, it's a real creative one on this one, all of your answers are either Terry or Lonnie. In my okay. head, you two uh, would go on some sort of crime spree. So I'm going to ask you five questions about the crime spree that you and Lonnie Anderson would go on, because I think it's inevitable, and you tell me the answers to several questions. And you you two need to match three out of five, and you will win some prizes. You ready to go? Oh, my God. I know. Okay. All right, here all we right. go. Okay. Question number one, starting out your crime spree. Question number one, who would commit the crime terry or lonnie i think i think terry would commit the crime okay so terry would commit the crime all right question number two who would drive the getaway car terry or lonnie well i hope lonnie because she's got a really cool classic car does she awesome yes okay this is very exciting question (laughs) number three who would flirt more successfully with the police officer who pulls you over, Terry oh, uh, or Lonnie? Oh, my God. Lonnie, Lonnie, Lonnie. That's an easy one. <laughs> we'll see what she says. Question number four. Who would fess up first? Who would be the first to break, Terry or Lonnie? 
fess up for the crime? Yeah. Oh, God. Who's going to break? Oh, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to say me. Okay. Terry, and finally, question number five, who will end up being the leader of the prison gang, Terry or Lonnie? (laughs) I think everybody would work for Lonnie. There it is. Yeah, I see it. We will find out in just a few minutes how you have matched up with Lonnie Anderson. (laughs) I can't believe that's a sentence I actually just said on my show. (laughs) Oh my God, you have fun interviewing her. She's so awesome. Tell everybody what they need to know about my sister, So Gay. That it's funny, and you can see Lonnie in a way that you've never seen her before, and she has two crazy grown-up children that will horrify you in a good way, and that you can see the whole thing on tellofilms.com, T-E-L-L-O-F-I-L-M-S.com. There it is. And you guys have your own website, too, do you not? I'm seeing my sister is so gay.tv. We do, we do, but to see the show, you need to go to Telefilm. There it is. Okay, so a lot of action for our listeners. What's coming up for you that you're excited about? Obviously, this is premiering, and there's going to be a big party that Don Wells and I are planning for you, apparently. <laughs> yeah, it's a poker party. There, apparently, uh, yeah. Then what yeah, happens? You can, watch, you can watch that for free. Uh, my, uh, she's still on that freaking island is on YouTube. Nice. And so you can watch that, um, and it's fun. I'm doing a big charity event this month. I've written a piece that's sort of like a schoolhouse rock for adults version of a sketch about the Electoral College, which is going to be exciting. Look at that. And, and uh, uh, electricity, I'm working on getting electricity into some more theaters. I'm loving that show. I'm very proud of that show. So things are, things are bubbling. They are. They are. Look, my friend, you have an energy about you that my hope is that you know I appreciate so much. You're such a fun throwback, but you make it modern and you make it relevant, but we don't lose all of that creative energy that has been present in the past few decades. You're such a treat to have on the show, but I love the work that you put out there to the world. Thank you, Ken. I love what you do. You're awesome at it. And um, I've missed you. It's good to chat. My Sister is So Gay, premiering January 22nd on Tello Films. Just go check it out, everybody. Terry, please keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. folks and we are back with our second incredible guest of this week's episode Lonnie Anderson is an award-winning actress humanitarian and so much more none of us can ever forget her incredible work as Jennifer Marlowe in the hit sitcom WKRP in Cincinnati during the show's four-year run Lonnie was nominated for three Golden Globe Awards and two primetime Emmys Lonnie was also a series regular in so notorious the mullets nurses partners in crime 
Time and Easy Street, and she guest starred on a number of shows. Her films include A Night at the Roxbury, All Dogs Go to Heaven, and Stroker Ace. Lonnie's many television films include the classic title role in the Jane Mansfield story. She is very active in numerous charities, which we will talk about. She became a best-selling author with her autobiography, My Life in High Heels, and, as we just said with Terry Ray, she will soon star in My Sister is So Gay. She is an icon of style, grace, and talent, and now she is here with us. Lonnie Anderson, welcome to this show with So Gay. Oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> That's all the time we have for this week's episode, Lonnie. Thank you. How did I get all that done? I just don't know. How many hours did I spend in makeup and hair? It is so wonderful to be with you. <laughs> we have so much ground to cover. Are you ready? I'm ready. When little Lonnie Anderson was running around Roseville, Minnesota, was this the dream? What was the big dream? The dream from uh, the brunette little girl charging the neighbors to uh, look at my little shows, a nickel, in the garage, singing, dancing, um, directing the other kids. I just don't think I ever wanted to be anything else. Was there a big hit number that you had? I feel like when you were charging them a nickel, there was an 11 o'clock number. I don't know what there it was, was though. Bye-bye, Blackbird. There it is. There it is. <laughs> By the way, I looked it up. I don't know if you know this. Lonnie Anderson, not the only famous Anderson from Roseville. Really? <laughs> Who else? Richard Deed Anderson from MacGyver. I know. Richard Deed Anderson. <laughs> Do you know there are so many Andersons in Minnesota? Louis uh, uh, Anderson and I did um, the cover of the Minneapolis-St. Paul called The Andersons of Minnesota. It was a magazine thing. And uh, we did a wonderful commercial at the um, Mall of America where we all were all waiting to get into a restaurant. And they say, party of two, Anderson, and thousands of people rushed the, uh, the podium. So, <laughs> And I feel like, coincidentally, in that show, Richard Dean Anderson was the mater d'. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> well, I have read My Life in High Heels. I enjoy it immensely. I, I think that it's so important to highlight to our listeners, Lonnie Anderson worked at her craft. Like, you didn't just get discovered and everything blew up. You really consistently put yourself out there to make it and, and worked hard at it. Is that, is that a fair you know, assessment? I did, and I just don't know if, if kids today uh, get that. Yeah. And, and or even have the opportunity to have that platform. I mean, when I moved to Hollywood, I'd already been on the stage since I was 10. I had all my union cards. I was, like, set to go. So I didn't come here saying, I have a dream and somebody noticed me. Yeah. I would imagine that a piece of this, even though we're a very positive, upbeat show, but I would imagine a piece of making it is, is dealing with rejection. Is that, is that something that you did indeed encounter? Oh, gosh. I, always, I give like lectures to incoming uh, students in the uh, theater department at UCLA, and I always say, just look up rejection, get really comfortable with it, love it, embrace it, because that is the way our life is most of the time. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not rare to be rejected 10, 20 times before you get the one. Right. I even know about today with all these uh, young people being able to uh, you know, like send their video in. Right. I mean, we'd have 20, uh, 25 girls that you were competing with. Now there are 2,500. Wow. 
And and so that begs the question, how did Lonnie Anderson persist, right? Rejection can get you down, and if it you happens know, quite a bit. <laughs> I've had some funny experiences along the way. Being a brunette, I was very ethnic-looking, and I know that's hard for everybody to imagine, but I kept getting rejected because I would be so popular today because I would be, you know, like racially ambiguous, kind of like like everybody wants you to be. But I had black hair and high cheekbones, and people would say, so what are you, like Native American? Or, what? Well, we just can't put you in a, uh, you know, we don't have a place for you. So I remember going to a commercial agent in Chicago, and she was a big-time commercial agent, Shirley Hamilton. And my girlfriend and I went in, and, sh- and my girlfriend was a client of hers. And um, uh, she said to me, you know, I can't use you. You're too voluptuous. You look like I don't know what foreign that. I don't know what you are. I, you know, you're not commercial. I'm so sorry. Uh, I hope your life goes really well on the stage. And so I walked out into the lobby, and there was a sign-up sheet for a commercial, and the lobby was filled with girls, and my girlfriend put her name on the sheet, and, and uh, we looked at one another, and I put my name on the sheet. Huh. And uh, so when they called me to the door and said, you're not on our list, I said, you know, Shirley said, come on in, because I, I just got into town this morning. So she said, come on in. And they said, oh, okay, come on in. And um, then my girlfriend and I w- went to lunch, and we were laughing about how funny that was that I just walked right in the door and um, before cell phones. Um, she had told her agent where she was at lunch, and the agent called and said, remember that girl you were with? She got the commercial. Oh, my gosh. Get her back in here in the office so we can sign a contract. So sometimes you just have to be gutsy and take a chance. I love it. I also love that some agent at some point told you, I'm sorry, you're too voluptuous. Too voluptuous. (laughs) Well, you know, things go in and out of style. Like your lips are too big. Now your lips aren't big enough. And, you know, then uh, your face is too square, I would hear. Or... um, uh, what? Somebody actually asked me to make up my mouth and then try and draw a line on that was smaller. Gosh. So you, you just have to keep... Um, it's so hard for kids, you know, to get rejection. And, and I think you have to have the temperament for it. Like my daughter said, I think I want to do this. So when she was about eight, I took her to a commercial interview and she didn't get it. And she said, that's it. I'm not doing this ever again. Wow. And so you either have to be committed or not. When you look back on your WKRP days, what are you most proud of? Oh, I'm so proud of the fact that, you know, before Jennifer, I wasn't uh, a real blonde. I was kind of experimenting with hair colors. And um, I went in for the audition saying, I don't want to be window dressing. I'm not interested in this part. I know you're MTM, and I hope you want me for something else someday, but this isn't it. And um, Grant Tinker and Hugh Wilson, who created the show, said, um, well, well, how would you do it? And then I was completely caught off guard. And I said, well, I think she should be smart and surprise you. And so uh, Hugh Wilson was really, our creator, was really uh, the one who sat with me and said, how about if she's Lana Turner and the smartest person in the room? And Jennifer was born. So I think what I'm most proud of is that I spoke up for myself. Uh, I took a chance on being blonde, thinking uh, that I'd go back to my dark hair, and I never have, um, that in 1978, there weren't a lot of smart, glamorous people on television. Right. So that it was innovative, and you gave pretty girls, glamorous girls, whatever, a chance to 
to be taken seriously. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's so easy to to do an interview with Lonnie Anderson and talk about oh well the male response you know was oh Lonnie what a what a bombshell great I would imagine though that you received incredible feedback from women you know, all across the world. Thing I am so proud of. Yeah. To this day, I love my my female fans. I mean, you male guys are you guys are really good, but the <laughs> female fans that come up, they have a whole different perspective. Right. And just last night I was at dinner and a woman walked by me and said, I love you. And I thought, wow, I will never get tired of hearing that. Yeah. You know that we gays love you too, right? I am so glad. (laughs) (laughs) We do, we do. Now, we've been talking all episode long about my sister is so gay. And and we heard the tale from Terry's point of view on, on how you got signed on to this. How did this come your way? Well, you know, Terry's uh, and Wendy both were students of Charles Nelson Riley, yeah. a friend of mine since the early 80s. And um, uh, then Terry was on an episode of The Mullets with me, and we relived our friendship with Charles and stuff. And so he, he contacted me through my manager and uh, sent the script and said, you know, would you be interested in this? And I have to tell you that um, I'm spoiled. And I've had wonderful opportunities. So a lot of the time, I'd rather stay home. I mean, I love working, but I don't want to do something inferior or right. less than. And I read this, and I thought, this is so funny. I want to be a part of this. Oh. Whatever, wherever, I want to be involved. He told me that it was perhaps a little hot when you guys were filming. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> were you at that point wishing, you know what, I wish I had stayed home? Oh, my gosh, I kept thinking, oh, this may be the worst I ever look on camera because you're just melting out there in the 100 degrees with the lights on you and everything else. And uh, I remembered when I did Stroker Ace and we were in Atlanta in the summer and um, that you, you have to think cool. It's kind of a zen-like thing. So I tried to put myself in that same place, and uh, I think I did it. There you go. We, we also heard our listeners heard Terry say that we will never look at his bedroom the same way again. It's no longer Terry Ray's bedroom. It's also now forever known as Lonnie Anderson's dressing room. <laughs> it, was, it was. We shot in there. I got <laughs> dressed in there. I became very intimate with Terry's whole apartment. <laughs> 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 so much fun. So much fun. I, I want to talk about some serious stuff, too. You know, I, I've been reading so much about the work that, that you have done to support caregivers out there in the world, and it's so important. Talk to our listeners about that part of your life. Well, you know, it started years and years ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago. Both of my parents had um, COPD, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, smokers, four packs a day, uh, emphysema, turning into different cancers, and and they were dead, before, both of them, before they were 60. Wow. So uh, I wanted to make sure that somehow, as my son reached about 10, I think, I thought, I need to get out there and uh, talk to kids about smoking. Don't start. Yeah. And uh, so that is how my campaign first started, and then it evolved into, okay, if we get you not to smoke, but then maybe there are people that did live longer than my parents that are uh, maybe in their 60s, 70s, and 80s now, they didn't get the message to not smoke, and now they have lung disease. And people our age, the kids, the baby boomers, are the caregivers. Right. 
and um, they need to be supported because you can't care for somebody else unless you care for yourself. So then that became my campaign. Incredible. Incredible. And I know you've done a ton of work for COPD Together, and our listeners can stroll on over to copdtogether.com. Really important stuff happening there. Yes. And then uh, my daughter has MS, so I've been very involved for the last eight years in um, raising money so we can get rid of that one. Yeah. I, I would imagine that the landscape in the entertainment industry is pretty crowded for a lot of different charity work. How do you go about really raising funds? You know, when when there's so many, comp- I hate to say competing, right? Because Well, they are. Right? Yeah. And um, I think I had a publicist early on, and before I had, you know, I had a cancer that had affected my family, and and uh, it's kind of like you don't spread yourself too thin. Right. You like have to pick where you're going to give all your energy and time because that's what we have to give as celebrities. Right. We have ourselves to give. To You say to the organization, whatever you need me for, use me. Use me and um, I will do anything I can to help you raise funds. You have done incredible work, incredible work over the years. You know, another fun part of your life, at least for me observing, I love that you have been on some of my favorite game shows of all time. You know, when I first started, (laughs) this is a funny thing to say, I thought, you know, when you first start a series, it could go or not. Right. And this is your chance. And I thought... I am going to accept every offer, every game show, every special, every single thing, because if, if WKRP goes, I'm not going to go. Right. So, um, uh, again, with my tough, um, I'm going to stay here, spirit, um, I did all those fabulous game shows, Hollywood Squares and Match Game and... and Oh my gosh, there were so many. There were so many. Win, lose, or draw. You Win, you did some drawing. Draw Bert and Bert created. Bert, my husband at the time, and Bert Convy. And uh, that was a great show because it's really Pictionary. Yeah. And and I was the champion. I love it. Of course you were. Of course well, you were. Only, you know, I kind of uh, had a leg up there because I was an art major. I graduated with a degree in art history from the University of Minnesota. So... You know, I I used it. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's great. Now, given your background in game shows and given Terry Ray's extraordinary background in game shows, and I know he pre-warned you for this, we're going to play a little bit of a game with you. Oh, no. You're going to be fine. You're okay. going to be – I am not worried at all. So in my head, you and Terry Ray would go on some sort of crime spree. I think it could happen. I think it could absolutely happen. So we're going to play a game with you. We're going to ask you five questions. This game is called Terry or Lonnie. So Terry has answered all of these questions already, and we're going to see how much you match up. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. All right. Question number one in your fictitious crime spree, which I think could happen. Who would commit the crime, Terry or Lonnie? Lonnie. He actually said Terry. Look he at, said Terry? He thought you were way above that. <gasps> oh, my goodness. And I'm thinking I'm such a strong, independent woman that I would have to take over. I love oh, it. That's so funny. So I'm not worried. You're going to get the other ones. You're going to get the other ones. Here we go. Who would drive the getaway car, Terry or Lonnie? Lonnie. Yes, that is the correct answer. Very good. 
Oh, he also mentioned that your car is definitely the car they want to use. He wants to use for the getaway car. <laughs> Perfect. There it is. <laughs> Lovely. Okay, question number three. Who would flirt more successfully with the police officer, Terry or Lonnie? I think Lonnie. That is the correct answer. That is very good. There we go. You only need one more. You only need one more, right? Okay. (laughs) This is funny. Question number four. Who would fess up first? Who would be the first to break under pressure, Terry or Lonnie? I think Terry. That is absolutely correct. And by the way, that's exactly what would happen, and we all know it. So there we go. (laughs) And going for four out of five, and and this one, I, I am feeling pretty confident. Who would be the leader of the prison gang? Terry or Lonnie? Me. Of course. There it is. Four out of five. Very well done, Lonnie Anderson. Oh, and that's how you last a long time in this profession is that you're tough. (laughs) I feel that was a resume builder for you. That was a good one. That was a good one. Tell everybody about My Sister So Gay. Why should they go check it out? Oh, my gosh. You you know, it's it's so funny. Okay, that's a given. This is a laugh out loud funny concept. Um, Terry is funny. Wendy is funny. Everybody is funny in the show. But it also is a family comedy. Yeah. You know, it has heart. It has poignant moments. It's still, no matter how flawed, and I love playing flawed, uh, this mother is, and she is flawed. Um, She's uh, continuously tipsy. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, makes martinis in her car. Carries an ice bucket with her, and she is promiscuous and mini-skirted and plunging necklines. Terry once said to me, you're just a little zoo because all of my outfits were uh, animal print. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, how could I resist playing this character? But with all of that said, she adores and supports her children. Yeah. I've seen clips, Lonnie. It doesn't appear to me that it's your first time making a martini. You look all pro. (laughs) Do I? I'm just saying. You know, I'm kind of a champagne gal, but mm, I've been known to have a martini. There you go. There you go. What else are you excited about that's coming up for you? Um, oh, my gosh. I've had so many things. About a year ago, I was the muse for an artist who was Erte's protege when he was a really young man. And um, he asked me if he could use my face on an installation. It was like a 20-foot-tall bronze uh, sculpture in Shanghai okay. in front of the Peninsula Hotel. So I went over there and I, uh, for the unveiling. And I have to tell you about being an older woman in Hollywood. To be somebody's muse is kind of like the coolest thing that ever happened. Yes. So I was so incredibly flattered. And uh, I've been working with this art group. And, of course, always, all of my life working with artists because... That's my other passion. Right. I just was never good enough. So if I can do something on the periphery, that's thrilling to me. So and great. And I have another, you know, I have a couple of projects that um, I don't want to jinx that I'm, I'm working on. My favorite things are comedy. I'm kind of wishing somebody out there listening would uh, let me be a bag lady just for a show. Okay. Just, yeah. I think we can arrange that. Okay. Okay. Because uh, I don't think anybody ever thinks of me for that. Okay. So at this age, I would be, like to be left to center, as always, and, um, and do something, something different. But I never want to stop. 
Yeah. And so I'd like to go back on stage again. And um, I'd even think of doing a musical again, although, you know, that's very demanding. Right. It's, it's kind of a young person's deal. But um, my husband and I have decided to take tap lessons, so maybe I'll get back to dancing. By the way, should you, you know, see your husband at any point in the near future, can you please tell him that I grew up on the Brothers Four and enjoy them immensely? Oh, I will tell him, because, you know, he still travels all over the world. They're booked into 2019. Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. So he's he's my my teenager. (laughs) Keeps me going. Let me tell our listeners this. Everybody, you need to stroll on over to tellofilms.com, T-E-L-L-O films.com. And my sister is so gay is going to be coming out. It's just so funny. I, Lonnie, I, I barely know what to say. You have made me smile for so many years. I'm grinning all throughout this entire interview. Oh gosh, I hope I keep doing it. You will. You absolutely will. So uh, please keep putting the energy. You, you put out a very unique energy into the world, and it is an energy... That, that conveys strength and humor, and you, you really do make us smile. It's such an absolute honor to have you on the show. Thank you very much. I have loved talking to you. Baby, if you've ever wondered Wondered whatever became of me I'm living on the air in Cincinnati Cincinnati WKRP Alright folks, and we are back. Lonnie Anderson. If you don't think that I am not appreciative to be doing this show every week for so many years and get to talk to these incredible folks, holy cow, are you wrong. Lonnie Anderson. Incredible. Incredible stuff. Well, we do have time left on this week's episode, so let's get to all of the latest LGBTQ news that's out there. Let's start in the great state of Texas. In a shock move, the Texas Supreme Court has agreed to hear arguments in a case around whether married same-sex couples should have equal spousal benefits. In case you guys are listening and thinking, well, gosh, this has been settled, hasn't it? No, apparently not. Apparently not in Texas. Despite it appearing glaringly clear that the answer is that same-sex couples deserve equal rights in marriage to other couples, the arguments will be heard. The case revolves around same-sex spouses being offered equal benefits to straight couples in the city of Houston in 2015. But the Supreme Court in the state has taken an unusual step in agreeing to hear the case, as back in September it voted 8-1 to to not hear the case. Huh. Justice John P. Devine was the only dissenting justice on the bench, writing at the time that the U.S. Supreme Court ruling in favor of equal marriage concerned access to marriage, not an equal protection challenge to the allocation of employment benefits. The case basically revolves around whether the U.S. Supreme Court granted equal rights to marry to same-sex couples or, rather, equal rights in marriage to same-sex couples. So, let's break that down. The Texas Supreme Court is hearing a case. They're saying, okay, sure, the U.S. Supreme Court may have decided that same-sex couples can get married, but did that really say that they should have equal access to benefits? Huh. 
Houston City defends itself, writing in a response, quote, The issue here is not whether employee benefits are a fundamental right. It is simply whether same-sex spouses must be allowed the same employee benefits as opposite-sex spouses. All of these arguments are set to be heard on March 1st. Yes, the lawsuit, which is backed by prominent Republicans in the state, is already being criticized as a waste of taxpayer dollars by the state. This is what your representatives are spending your taxpayer money on. They're trying to parse out words now. Sure, the Supreme Court said that you gays can get married, but they didn't say that you had access to equal rights and equal benefits. Yes, yes, they did. That is exactly what the Supreme Court says. What a waste of time. But that's apparently what they are spending time on in Texas. A Republican politician has insisted that she only accidentally, she only accidentally compared gay people to Nazis. Jan Murdahl sits in the North Dakota State Senate. She was one of the lawmakers who recently blocked attempts to formalize same-sex marriage into law. Remember that? That was a few weeks ago where, yeah, North Dakota said, sure, again, the U.S. Supreme Court said you can get married, but we're still not going to change our laws to reflect that. That's what they're spending time on in North Dakota. Well, the Republican politician came under fire last week for posts that she made to Facebook. She shared an article titled, The Forgotten Gays Part 2 is the LGBT on Crack, which featured a prominent Nazi swastika in rainbow colors. That's right, a Nazi swastika in rainbow colors. The column, which is from a fringe Republican blog, Conservatives for Palin, by the way, that's that's a fringe Republican blog, Conservatives for Palin, they attacked Jennifer Holliday for pulling out of a performance at Donald Trump's inauguration. This article also claimed that radical and extreme voices have overtaken the LGBT movement, with the author alleging that they have bank accounts hacked eight times by LGBT activists due to speaking out. Well, Ms. Murdahl, again, she sits there in the North Dakota State Senate, said she was unaware of the rainbow swastika. She said this, quote, Recently, I reposted a story on my personal Facebook wall that had an image attached to the link that I was unaware of. I have since deleted the post. As a daughter of a family that suffered under said image, I deplore this image, and I would never post this image on purpose. So, it's quite unclear as to how she missed this image because it was right there at the top of the article. If you clicked on this article, you would see a Nazi swastika in rainbow colors. It's right there. That said, how about the part where she's not apologizing at all for reposting this article? She's not apologetic for that. She's just saying it was an accident that she posted it, that it had a Nazi swastika. Well, again, this incident comes just weeks after she helped defeat a bill that would have removed defunct claims in state law that marriage is between one man and one woman. So if you are there in North Dakota, please know that your state law still specifies that marriage is between one man and one woman. She claimed that embracing same-sex weddings in law would, quote, serve to diminish with official intent the honor and sacredness of what the human institution of marriage is described as in the North Dakota Constitution as it stands today. She feels that the honor and sacredness 
of the human institution of marriage would be diminished by it reflecting the actual law. Again, not divorce. She's not saying that divorce diminishes the honor and sacredness of the human institution of marriage, but that would be what the Supreme Court has already decided. So that's North Dakota, right after we talked about Texas. Let's look at Idaho. Idaho, they're actually doing good things, despite arguments that same-sex marriages should not be recognized. Again, some people are making this argument in Idaho as well. Idaho is bringing its tax code in line with federal rules. The House Revenue and Taxation Committee met this week. They voted to bring the tax code up to date. Republican representatives Ron Nate and Stephen Hartgen said that the state still bans same-sex marriage in its constitution, so they should not be conforming with the Internal Revenue Service. This comes despite the state annually bringing its code up to date with federal versions. This is done to help businesses and residents keep up to date. Well, Representative Nate said this, quote, If we here in Idaho think that the laws or even the ruling of the Supreme Court is not constitutional, then we have an obligation and a duty to defend our state constitution against those infringements. This is like, by the way, the Secretary of Education nominee Betsy DeVos not understanding the difference between federal and state rights. Sorry, but when the Supreme Court decides something like this, it applies to all of the states. Unless you, Idaho, are saying you are going to secede Unless you, North Dakota, are saying that you are going to secede, and you too, Texas, unless you are saying that you are going to secede, you don't get to decide. You don't have an obligation and a duty to defend your state constitution against infringements. That's not how it works. So Idaho doesn't get to think that the laws or even the ruling of the Supreme Court is not constitutional. If you want to secede and create your own government, be our guest. But that's not the way laws actually work. And these aren't just some fringe random people. This is Republican Representative Ron Nate there in Idaho. That's what he's advocating for. And it would seem to me he missed a civics lesson somewhere. So in recent years, Idaho has required same-sex married couples to recalculate their taxes and file as two single people for the state tax return. Then in 2014, the state's same-sex marriage ban was struck down. Well, Representative Hartgen, again, a Republican representative there in Idaho, he went further and he said that he thinks under President Trump, a new Supreme Court justice will be appointed who will seek to overturn same-sex marriage. And by the way, that's not what Supreme Court justices do. They don't seek to overturn anything. They deal with the cases that are brought before them. They don't create cases. Unbelievable. It's really a lack of civics education, which worries me greatly, because these are Republican representatives Ron Nate and Stephen Hartgen. Stephen Hartgen said this, quote, The landscape has changed. Well, this tax bill will now go to Idaho's House for the full approval. So there's that. Now let's go over to the great state of California. Students at a high school in California have said they had a run of a play they had directed canceled because one of the characters is gay. A petition has been started by students at Buchanan High School in Clovis, California, after a production of No Exit was called off by school administrators. Directed by student Jared Serpa, the play features a lesbian character. The petition states that the Clovis Unified School District canceled the production after its first performance. The petition reads this, quote, Our production of No Exit 
was unfortunately shut down a few hours before our second performance. This show is read at our school in senior literature and yet is somehow unfit for the stage despite us modifying it to make it more appropriate. After months of hard work, long nights, early mornings, spending breaks and weekends on the show, the reason we were given for the cancellation was something along the lines of there's a lesbian character and some parents may have to explain to their child that some women love other women, that our audience doesn't approve of homosexuality, and we should be playing to our audience. I'm deeply disappointed in our community, one I once thought was accepting and kind. I'm afraid I was wrong. Please allow the show to go on and help us put censorship of homosexual themes and the double standard towards the LGBTQ plus community in Clovis Unified School District to an end. And there is also a video that goes along with it. Well, the student who was directing it said the reasons they were given for the cancellation was due to an audience complaint. So now we're just straight up and down doing censorship in high schools. Unbelievable. So you can check out that petition. Uh, just search for it. It's uh, change.org petition. Hashtag bring back no exit. Hashtag bring back no exit. I will certainly be posting about that. In Arizona, two bills have been introduced in Arizona which seek to ban gender reassignment surgery for those on Medicaid or in prison. Representative Anthony Kern introduced House Bills 2293 and 2294 this week to attempt to limit transgender rights. He said he is, quote, always in favor of personal freedoms but never at the expense of the taxpayer. In a statement issued by Kern, he said, quote, the fact of the matter is taxpayers in California had to foot the bill for a prison inmate's gender reassignment surgery. Now the precedent has been set to attempt to push other states into supporting this. So you guys should also raise your voice and decry what's happening there in Arizona. A lot happening, a lot happening. And lastly, lawyers for an independent federal agency are already pushing for LGBT protections, despite President Trump's attorney general being unconfirmed. Despite apparently having no guidance from the Trump administration so far, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission filed a lawsuit this week to protect gay restaurant workers against harassment. The lawsuit alleges that the Scottsdale Wine Cafe discriminated against Wyatt Lupton, who is out and gay, and Jared Bonick, who was perceived to be gay. According to the lawsuit, the men were called horrible names. The lawsuit was filed by the EEOC in the U.S. District Court in Arizona. According to the lawsuit, the EEOC states that the discrimination violated Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. It is unclear whether the Trump administration agrees that Title VII should apply to anti-gay discrimination. The lawsuit states that, quote, the men were being subjected to a hostile work environment because they were perceived as not conforming to sex or gender-based assumptions, expectations, norms, or stereotypes of men because of their sex, because of their sexual orientation, and because in one of their cases because he was perceived to be gay. It states that the men complained to management, but the complaints were not addressed. So this is one of the first tests for President Trump to see how he will respond. A lot of questions about President Trump, and the answers are, you know what, it's day five or six, we really don't know yet. We still should be using our voices and decrying everything that's happening. LGBT presence is really just completely gone from the White House's website, so it's been scrubbed there, including John Kerry's historic speech just last week that was archived on the website, apologizing for past behavior of the State Department. It's all been scrubbed. So I look, the message of the week is you have to use your voice. 
Everybody get out there. If you are not using your voice, you are letting these things happen. Even if you're just starting a conversation with someone else, that's using your voice. You got to get out there and do it. So our huge, huge thanks to Terry Ray, to Lonnie Anderson for the incredible work they are doing. And of course, thanks as always to you all for listening. Get out there. Go use your voice to make a difference and lift up the voices of your LGBTQ brothers and sisters, of all of our allies out there. And while you're out there using your voice, while you're out there making a difference, please remember, why be gay when you can be so gay?